Hello, you're listening to Letters from the Least. My name is Claire McCallan, and this is a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. The show is written by me, Claire, produced by Kelsey Cronin and edited by Laura Stone with music graciously provided by the ever-talented A. Charles. To support this podcast and others like it, join us at patreon.com slash grexley. Love your dreams, work hard, stay focused. A lot can change in a year, I know this. But even if it doesn't, don't let that break it down. Your goals and your dreams is where the magic's found. Failure's something that we all must accept because the only thing worse than death is regret. You dig? And today, on our 10th and final episode for now, while I recoup and eat like 4,000 throat lozenges and drink a ton of water, (laughs) we are going to close out on my favorite topic in the world, which is failure. I don't know anyone who fails as often and as stupendously as I do. Maybe other people are doing it and not talking about it, but I think that I could wallpaper my bedroom in rejection letters. I know I could. I know I could. And some of them are just like run-of-the-mill rejection letters, but some of them are just like mean-spirited. I have gotten some of the craziest rejections and they're not just like, you know, it's not a form they sent out to everyone. Like sometimes people take the time to reject me in a very personal way. A lot of times from these big Catholic organizations, you'll get somebody who I've had all sorts of things where I like asked to speak at a conference and I got a personal message back from the director saying, we only, um, we only use speakers who people are excited to see and people aren't excited to see you. (laughs) Okay. I had another person from another prominent Catholic organization tell me that they wished me the best luck. They wouldn't be working with me. They didn't think anyone was going to work with me because they didn't think that spoken word was going to take root in the Catholic world and that this was, there was no audience. And they, they basically told me to quit. That was another fun one. Um, but the, the best I've ever gotten is I wanted to do a rewrite for a project of the screw tape letters. I wanted to rewrite the screw tape letters in um, spoken word form. And so I requested permission from the C.S. Lewis Foundation to see if I would if that would be okay. And I got the funniest rejection email from them because it was like, no, you may not reproduce the screw tape letters as spoken word. You shouldn't do this, blah, blah, blah. It was all that. But Every time that it was you, instead of just writing out you, it was all caps. It was like, it was like, <laughs> no, you shouldn't do this. Like, you are not allowed to. And it would have my name in all caps. It was like, Claire McCallan is not allowed to in all caps. It was the most hostile. And a couple of people suggested that maybe it was just like one of those forms and they just put you and Claire McCallan in it. But the verbiage wasn't quite right. Like, this was written intentionally. This was this was handwritten by someone. <laughs> And that is, that was my rejection in all caps that I've received, but I've received so many rejection letters, which is why I love to talk about it. I have, I think, finally come to the place where I've numbed myself to rejection for better or for worse. I feel like a, like a high school boy who's asked like 20 girls to the prom. Everybody says no, but I remain hopeful. I started early. I started asking these girls to the prom in like September or so by April, somebody should say yes. That's how I feel about my career. I, the rejection letters, just they don't hit the way they used to. I still feel pretty good. And part of it is because I apply for everything. No opportunity is too small or too niche or too weird or whatever. I just work my butt off and I apply, apply, apply. And, you know, for every five to 10 rejections, there's one acceptance and that's okay for me. Just like it's okay for that boy who wants to get a prom date. So it's fine. We're going to jump into our first poem, Okay. <laughs> 
All right, poem one. I like rejection. I like the way the word no bites back in my mouth, and I love the way slamming doors slap me wide awake every unreturned phone call, bunted pitch, and apologetic letter is a message bellowed in God's great baritone. This ain't it, kid. Leaving me whispering in my squeaky tenor. And what is? I like rejection. With its bites, slaps, and bellows, because rejection is just another manifestation of mystery himself. He offers me no place to rest my weary mind besides his own knee, which I, exhausted of options and exhausted of efforts, begrudgingly accept. Curve of my spine wrapping like an open parenthesis around the ledge of him, desperately searching for its bookend, wondering... If this is just another no, then where's the yes? So that is actually one of the first poems I ever wrote. I tell everyone that I didn't start writing poetry um, until after I served in Calcutta, which that that's more in relation to spoken word, I guess, because I always forget because <laughs> it's been so long, and this I always forget that I wrote some poems right after I graduated college. Um, and I think somewhere deep, deep, deep in a horrible corner of the internet, there's actually an ebook of these poems right after I graduated where I had been going through a lot. I think I was trying to process trauma and some losses um, through very amateur art. And I, I put this out on the internet and this poem was, was one of them. And I I don't know that I was writing about artistic rejection. I think the artistic rejections were yet to come because I wouldn't have referred to myself as a, a poet or a writer at the time. I think that these were like diary entries that I decided to put online, you know, like 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 a 21-year-old, 22-year-olds will do. Not that I can put her down. I still do that. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think these rejections were about me searching for friendship and searching for romantic connection and just like every time that I thought I was onto something, I was getting slapped in the face by reality. Kept getting really close and then getting just torn apart. Um, and yeah, it it became like like a labyrinth, like like a what is the word I'm looking for here? It it just following God down this yellow brick road of rejections and. Every time I'm faced with like, oh, do I go left or go right? I never even have to make the choice because one of the decisions, one of the options is always taken from me in the form of a rejection. And this poem was about learning to process that rejection as gift because I wanted to be able to understand like how lucky am I to have the wrong door closed to me? Because what would be so much worse is if that wrong door that I wasn't supposed to go down stayed open. Or if I forced my way through, which so often we do, we get the rejection, we get the sign from God saying, no, 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 this ain't it, kid. And we say, no, 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 God, I think this is it. And we just use brute force to bang our way through the door and we end ourselves in crazy, horrible situations. I think we so often do that with relationships where all signs say no, 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 no. And we push, 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 push because we want to be with someone so badly um, we do this with jobs, we do this with friendships, living situations, all of these things where God, it, it's not so clear as a rejection, but God says, oh, the door is closed and we bang our way through the door anyway and get ourselves in these suggestion, in these horrible situations. Um, 
So yeah, learning to see rejection as a gift. That was that was that was what that was about. Um, our second poem was written actually much later. So there's a three-year difference um, between these poems. This poem was written during quarantine while I was marathon training and I was having, I was just, oh, I was just so tired and so ex- just deep soul exhausted. It was more than just the fact that my body was so exhausted. Like my soul was deeply exhausted and that's where this poem came from. So poem two. Life didn't break me. Hell it bent me. Hell bent me over his crackling knee. He tried to crack me, but heaven sent. Heaven sent a hand down to me. Demons pulled my braids while angels complimented my shoes. Torn between temptation and salvation, I didn't know what to do. So I high-fived the high on as... Beelzebub resigned to say in his own name in the mirror three times because heaven had me too busy putting his name in these rhymes. I am no longer how bent I am, the receiver of whom heaven has sent. I am with, I am. We are with heaven sent. So yeah, that was written um, while I was having a bit of a hard time with just like that one was a little bit less rejection so much as failure. I was failing very consistently in my workouts, these long runs that I was not able to complete, um, which is fine. I would, in case I haven't brought it up enough times, it's a little bit like being a vegan. <laughs> being a marathon runner is a little bit like being a vegan. You know, I, I need to mention it in at least one one episode. I ran a marathon, not very quickly, but I ran it. Um, so the success came, but it was purchased by like day in, day out failure for four months. Um, you know, I was just telling this story to some people the other day and this had been, I think, locked up in my subconscious and in like this deep part of my brain where I didn't want to think about it anymore. But when I think of rejection and think of failure and seeing it as an opportunity and a spur in my boot instead of a nail in my boot. That's not original to me. I'm pretty sure that's Chesterton. Um, seeing it as a spur instead of a nail. I have to think back to my first ever spoken word gig. And that was in New York City. And it was crazy. So this is almost three years ago now, I guess. And it was crazy because it's my first performance at the New Yorkian Poets Cafe, which was like the poetry cafe in New York City. It was my first performance there. It it went really well um, for being my first time. Uh, great response, even though looking back, it's totally cringeworthy, but like great response. People are wonderful there. And a man came over and he really liked my work from what he had seen. And he had no idea what an amateur was. He, I didn't tell him that it was my first time on stage ever. And he was like, I love your work. That's so great. Like I'm opening my own fashion brand. I'm starting my own label. I would love to have you perform at the the opening show that we're having in like two months. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, 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 yes. I can't wait. So great. He told me he was going to pay me in clothes from his... <laughs> you ever tell these stories about when you were like 23 and you you can hear how dumb it sounds now, but in the moment I was like, yeah, like pay me in clothes, whatever. Amazing. <laughs> what I need is more t-shirts. Um, so I agree. I'm just super stoked that someone would want me to perform at their fashion show in New York City. That sounded so crazy to me. Looking back, it's like, yeah, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. 
oh, the lessons we have to learn. So anyway, two months go by, I practice, I write some original material for his show. I'm so stoked to get a special outfit, probably got my hair done, even though I had no money, like I don't know where this was coming from. I show up, I'm so nervous, like shaking like a leaf. I get there, he's like, okay, we have a while till the show starts, like can you help us? I'm like, yeah, I can help. So I'm like hanging samples on clothing hangers. I'm tagging clothes. I'm helping with the models. I'm doing all this stuff right in this like really swanky bar they had rented out for the premiere of his line. And I, so I volunteer and I help and I'm basically just like, like a a sales floor person for a couple hours helping with the inventory. And then people come, the party's happening, everyone's drinking all of this stuff. It's been hours. It's been hours. It's almost midnight and I'm waiting for when they're going to have me get up and perform the poetry I've been preparing for this. He comes over to me and he's he's like drunk at this point and he's like, you know what, Claire, I don't really feel like the vibe tonight is poetry. Like I don't think people really want to hear it. Like I'm sorry I had you come out, but thanks so much for helping us with inventory. Like you can go home now. And I <laughs> was devastated. I had told everyone about this opportunity i was so excited i was like yeah like i'm performing at a fashion show like blah blah blah. like such a humility moment for me now to like have been used for inventory and sent home with like a consolation t-shirt and no performance credit so of course being myself i didn't push back i was like hi yeah thank you for the opportunity god bless talk to you soon bye week 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 but but good week but good and i start walking home it's like midnight i I'm so upset and I start crying into this little consolation t-shirt that I didn't even want on my walk home to the, well, at least to get to the subway to get home. I'm very, very far from home. I'm real uptown and I live in Brooklyn, right? Okay, so I'm walking and this teeny tiny gang of bikers, not motorcycle people, like like those like little trick bikes that teenage boys ride around, this tiny little gang of maybe like seven or eight teenage boys on those little trick bicycles come up behind me. They see I'm laughing. I'm sorry. They see I'm crying. They think it is the funniest thing ever that I'm like walking home crying at at midnight. And they start circling me with their bikes and making fun of me and laughing and like mimicking my crying as I'm walking home. And they followed me all the way to the subway station. It was horrible. I'm sobbing and these teenage boys, which as we know, teenagers are just the worst, right? They are just circling me with their tiny bikes, just like like getting the biggest kick out of my tears. And that to me, <laughs> that is my my worst failure slash rejection, I think. There have been other things that have been maybe a little bit more meaningful, like bigger losses than just like some dumb little fashion show in some bar. But But that was just like biggest kick in the stomach when I was so naive and so hopeful and at the time it was like the worst thing ever and looking back I'm like oh thank god thank god it happened thank god that band-aid was ripped off because it just made me so much less adverse to failure and rejection and humility and it made me not tougher right because tougher has kind of that that uh that connotation we don't like where we become too hard, but it made me strong and it made me able to handle those situations. And I think, I think that if that happened again now, I would have spoken up for myself and I don't think I'd cry on the way home. And I think if those boys circled me with their bikes, I think I would have tripped them. So 
I think that we grow from our failures and from our rejections, um, not just as artists and as individuals, but also, you know, in a sense of humor and in a sense of understanding the rightly ordered emotions, you know, it's not the end of the world. And I feel grateful for all of the rejections and failures that led me to, to this level of levity, if that makes sense. Um, so for our third and final poem on failure, let's see, this was written, uh, during quarantine as well. And I think it was written in companion to that last poem. So what I'm actually going to do since they were written, I think as part one and part two, I'm going to reread you that second poem and then I'll say poem three and we'll dive right in because I think they are best read without my, um, crazy monologue in between the two of them so we'll do poem two again and then we'll go right into poem three poem two life didn't break me hell it bent me hell bent me over his crackling knee he tried to crack me but heaven sent heaven sent a hand down to me Demons pulled my braids while angels complimented my shoes. Torn between temptation and salvation, I didn't know what to do. So I high-fived the on high as Beelzebub resigned to saying his own name in the mirror three times because heaven had me too busy putting his name in these rhymes. I am no longer hell-bent. I am the receiver of whom heaven has sent. I am with, I am. We are with heaven sent. Poem three. Dear God, we're still here, God. Dear God, can you hear, God? Have you forsaken? You're mistaken. Do you remember us when we forgot you? Do you recognize us when we don't recognize you and each other? Am I with? I am. When I don't see you and my fellow man. When I don't even try. If you won't let this cut pass, please raise my tolerance. Teach me how to hold my humility lest I end up doubled and retching on my own pride. The world makes me sick sometimes. I make me sick sometimes. But dear God, I'm still here, God. So I do like those poems um, as companions as part one and part two. I think looking back, there's probably a couple weeks in between them because um, it goes from a the second poem where I was kind of failing myself to the third poem where I felt like I was failing my fellow man and thus failing God. Yeah, and I think that that is the only failure that is truly catastrophic, right? When we fail God and fail, fail our fellow man. Um, those moments where we're failing ourselves by receiving another rejection letter or not getting the grade we wanted on the test or not getting affection from the person we wanted it from, th- those aren't the real failures. Those are, um, I don't even want to say setbacks. Those are like we talked before. Those are little arrows in the part, in the what is the right direction and what is the wrong direction. Those rejections and failures aren't aren't bad. They're just closed doors as they should be closed. Um Whereas those moments in that final poem where we're failing God by failing each other, by failing to see him in each other, those are the failures that last and that matter. And so I would encourage us to focus on that. Let all of the other 
worldly rejections roll off of our shoulders, but to feel the weight of our failures and shortcomings as they affect each other and as they hurt God. Just always lead with your heart. That's lesson one. Because if you don't, you'll have nothing, baby. Lesson one. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening and sharing all this poetry with me. It has been such a treat to get to go through my own catalog. It's been like getting to read my diary. It's very cathartic and I'm learning and laughing and cringing at my own work as I think we all do when we're asked to go through our own work. Um, but it's been wonderful and I am incredibly grateful to have gotten to share it with you all. Let's see, we always finish with a recommendation. My final recommendation would be John Mulaney's Kid Gorgeous special on Netflix. It'll just make you laugh, laugh, laugh. He's a fellow, well, he grew up Irish Catholic. And so he really, he, we, we share a, we share a funny bone. So he really makes me laugh. I'm grateful for that. And as for my recommendation for reading, let's go with Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah, I think that's a very positive way for us to leave off. Uh, thank you guys so much for sharing this with me. My name is Claire McCallan, and this has been Letters from the Least, and I wish you all a great day, and God bless. <laughs>